2: Well, hello and greetings, comrades, listeners of the eastern border. I have returned to Latvia at this given moment. And, well, what I want to share with you are my experiences in America. Yeah, I visited that great country, and I went to the Sound Education Conference in Harvard. I met a bunch of people there, most of whom were podcasters, like our fellow guys, and uh, our Dark Myths network was represented by me, uh, by Professor CJ from the Dangerous History podcast, by Sam Davis from the Inward Empire podcast, and by Ben Jacobs from Wittenberg to Westphalia. But I made a bunch of new friends, and I recommend to you that you should listen to, for example, Reconsider podcast, which is like great guys, and they were like, Awesome to me. And everything was so awesome to me there that, uh, yeah, I'm a bit stunned still. At the end of this episode, just uh, after I finish speaking about my United States experiences, you will hear an interview that I made with no less than Dan Carlin himself. Well, it was mostly me and Sam. Yeah, because we organized this beforehand and he was speaking there. And it ended up pretty cool. So, last 15 to 17 minutes are going to be an interview there. But so far, well, I have now walked the Freedom Trail fully. I've eaten clam chowder and I've eaten oysters for the first time in my life. But I'm going to go through this point by point and tell you what exactly happened, because this is my first trip to the United States. I hope it's not going to be the last one. Well, my girlfriend Chantel tells me that uh, she's going to drag me to California to meet her parents. But, yeah... I visited America, I went to a conference, made a lot of new contacts, and uh, it was all awesome. And I'm just still stunned when I'm making this episode. By the way, this is totally unscripted. This is totally unscripted, and I'll just be relaying to you things as they go on. Because, for one, I do believe that you guys, as your history fans, have been, like, to Boston anyways and walked the Freedom Trail, so won't be delving into the depths of that thing. But, first of all, I want to say thank you... Thank you so much to Zachary Davis from the Ministry of Ideas for running the whole thing and for inviting me, your humble Latvian podcaster, on the show. And I uh, found out that, well, yeah, (laughs) you can make people in Harvard totally do a slob squat in the end of your presentation. It's going to be okay. But yeah, this is a kind of a compendium of my experiences in the United States and I hope that you'll find this enjoyable and like I said at the end, there's going to be an interview with Dan Carlin we'll also be running a few interesting uh, proposals here, for example She's in Russia podcast has made a nice storytelling thing with Baba Yaga and my friend Aritz Baig from the Latvian Transhumanist Association kind of needs your help right now to actually do something good for science so that's coming in the future I'm just mentioning it right now so that all the listeners here know that we will Will be doing some heavy promotion in the following episodes. But this is what I believe is good and awesome, so that some science can actually be done and so that my fellow podcasters could get their voices out there. But yeah, well, I went to America and these will be my experiences. First, of all, I want to talk about how different the United States actually are from Europe. I mean, I've traveled quite a lot around Europe. I've been to Stockholm and Berlin and, and London and many other places. And you always have a reference point, right? Well, not so in Boston. I mean, um, that was so strange for me that I can't really compare it to anywhere that I've been elsewhere. I mean, when you go there, you can just feel the America being in the air. Like, you your flags everywhere, and there's Paul Revere. By this point, I uh, I can't stand Paul Revere, because, oh my god, when Longfellow wrote that poem, he didn't know what he was talking about, because that's a huge-ass hero, apparently. But this americanness it's there. It's there and it's really a tangible thing. You can feel it. And also, I was there with Zach from When Diplomacy Fails podcast. I met him too. And you know what? Normally, in Europe, we'd be like, well, he's from Ireland and I'm from Latvia and we don't even mingle between ourselves and he's like on the other end of the continent. But over there, uh, at Harvard, it really felt like we're the European guys there, because we have so many unified things. Just was super crazy. This feeling of difference, really, this uh, something else, feeling that you have these, like, super tall skyscrapers, because, yeah, at least in Boston, well, from what I saw in downtown Boston, your buildings are at least, at least thrice the size of everything that we're used to. And then again, my host there and my tour guide was uh, Honorable and Glorious Sam Davis from the Inward Empire podcast, and uh, he told me that, well, whenever he leads a bunch of European tourists here in Boston, you know, we guys tend to be arrogant a lot, and that uh, when someone says that the oldest building here or there, you know, this this many years old or something from the 18th century, yeah, the Europeans tend to scoff at it, but I didn't, and I learned a lot. But then again, I understood that whenever you mention that something X is the oldest thing in the United States, then yeah, it's, it's in Boston probably. Because, like I said, I ate oysters for the first time in my life in Clam Chowder, and I, I ate them in the um, old Union Oyster House, and it was amazing, uh, it was really great, and then I drank a pint of beer. Well, your American pints are smaller than, like, half a liter ones. American pint is 473 milliliters, just so everyone knew, so it's, like, not a half a liter. But it was really great and amazing. I drank that one in the oldest continuously-run pub in the United States. That was a major experience, too. The conference itself was really well-organized and awesome. And I loved every second of it, uh, except that there's a tiny complaint that it should have been three days, because we were all, like, panned out. At the same time, with my presentation, there were, like, nine different presentations going on, like, in total ten. And it was very difficult to get a bunch of people there. But those who were there, uh, who listened to my tale about the Soviet jokes... Those people were very active, and I was really happy, and I got some contacts there. And um, at the end of the day, yeah, well, I am now the author of probably the first Slav squat in Harvard, because at the end of my presentation, I made everyone do a Slav squat, and that turned out to be really well and awesome. Secondly, you are a country of extroverts, Americans. You speak in lines, you speak with other people, you always communicate. That was my biggest shock there, well, besides the buildings. But, uh, you know, I'm waiting in line to the Bank of America to exchange my Euro monies, which apparently look like Monopoly money to you, because they're all different sizes and colors. And, and then Sam just starts chatting at random with some dude who is there to help exchange money and just offers some help. And that is so unheard of because we just don't speak with each other here on the streets. We are not as extroverted. We're uh, much more closed in and we keep our lives very private. Then again, I do feel bad because, well, I was hosted by Zachary Davis' friend for the last two nights and by Sam Davis for the first two nights. And uh, I felt like I, you know, I'm doing something wrong all the time. So, well, Sam, um, Sam, if you're hearing this, I hope uh, I wasn't a terrible guest because you were the most amazing host ever. But yeah, I got the full tour. I started out in Boston Commons and I went to, um, I went through the whole freedom trail and I was on the USS Constitution, which is an amazingly large ship. If you imagine that one, because it technically has 44 cannons, but it was like running 50 or 60. And as soon as I hear about the Barbary wars where that thing fought, I'm totally gonna, gonna research that more. That was just great. Except that you Americans always have things spelled out because I was really stunned that there was a text in there which said, Don't climb all the guns, which is crazy. But more about the food stuff, uh, again, I I went to Wendy's. I don't have Wendy's here in in, um, Riga. And I ate a Baconator, because a Baconator is obviously something that you must eat to clog up your arteries. And that thing just struck me, because it was so fatty and so huge that I really felt sick afterwards. I'm being told that the In-N-Out Burger which I'm going to have to eat in after I go back to California at some point in the future. But In-N-Out Burger is the best, or so people tell me, but hey, please, send us in your emails about what you experience in the West Coast, guys. But I ate the Baconator, and it literally made me feel a bit bad after that. Turns out that you have a quarter-pounder at McDonald's as well. And that's an interesting thing, because what you call a quarter-pounder is called a Royale with cheese here. Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. That again, with all the Paul Revere superstition and everything, I understand why that might not be called MacRoyal there in the United States. I really enjoyed the United States in general. I will miss your Eagle Land. I will miss the friendly people, the nice streets, and how clean and amazing it all was. And I was like super stunned by the tallness of the buildings. And I went to the JFK Museum too. That was something different. And now one of my life goals is to visit all of your presidential museums in the States because they seem like they hold the real value. I learned about your side of the Cold War. I learned about how it was like to be in America during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that just stunned me because I'm going to compare that in a future episode. Might be even the next one, but I'm not sure yet. The whole voice of hearing Kennedy speak, there was just something. And what stunned me more is that, you know, on my way to there, they have a metro station in Boston called JFK UMass. And they, they have shuttles from there to kind of the museum library thing. And I took the wrong one, and I spent about an hour just, you know, traveling around the city in a bus. Because apparently the shuttle that I took there, it was for uh, medical students of LMA. You know, the shuttle basically stated, that's the JFK uh, shuttle. And turns out that it was referencing the uh, the metro station. Well, I spent an hour on that shuttle, and uh, I I had to speak with the bus driver there. Because, you know, at one point, you know, I'm telling him that I need to go to the Kennedy Library, and he tells me that I'm on the wrong bus, and then he just starts speaking to me. It was, like, so weird, because, again, like everything, everything was super weird. But, yeah, he, he started speaking with me, and he just asks me, well, where are you from? You're obviously a tourist, and I'm like, I'm from Latvia, and he's like, well, never heard of it. And that happened like most people too this never heard of it in this random conversation things cuz well I gave my coins to a lot of poor people who were like asking with them with the Dunkin donuts cups in hand and they always ask me where I'm from, because like they, a lot of people told me that I look like a European, I dress like a European, which is also something that I don't quite get, because well, I am a European, but yeah, was a bit stunned with the fact that a lot of people just don't know where Latvia is, or where we are, or who we are. They just thought I'm a Russian, but you know, not not quite really. Yeah, it was, it was a bit uh, strange. And uh, climbing the monument of Bunker Hill, that was amazing too. Like I now know that it's 294 steps because I climbed them all and I had a really great view from uh, the top of the building and it was amazing. But climbing up there and, and seeing uh, the place where the colonial uh, militias faced the Redcoats, it was something else. It was really something else because the Americanness of the whole Boston city... I kind of stunned me, and a lot of people keep saying to me that I should go to New York, too, and that I should visit much more places, and I hope that I will one day, but even Boston, Boston, where all the history is, all this experience just stunned me, because even that place has so many skyscrapers that I'm just not used to. I mean, <laughs> I do live in the middle of nowhere for Europe, even. And then I went to where, well, as far as I see it, most of America's history is. Just wow.
0: Hey everyone, Annette here! I hope you are enjoying our American Recap. As always, a big thanks to everyone who is supporting us on Patreon. The trip to Harvard would not be possible without your help. We are working very hard to get you a recording of the conference Kristaps had as soon as possible. To keep up to date with everything Eastern Border related, follow us on our social media on Twitter at Eastern underscore Border and on our Facebook page. We love to hear from you guys, so leave us a comment or send us an email. See you online. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
3: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare.
2: Yeah, one of the things I'd like to speak more about is um, zero attitude about everything there. I was very surprised, like I said before, about the treatment of us Eastern Europeans there, because I have never been in such a city where everyone was like so friendly and so kind to me, and I never felt like I was too far from home. Everyone was out there to help me. And with all the fucking food and awesomeness and the conference too, but yeah, you know, I, I I sadly couldn't take my Soviet flag with me. Imagine what would that be. It would be just great. But honestly, the whole experience has taught me a lot of things, and I hope that my show will just benefit from that in the future. I learned quite a lot about you Americans. You are different than us here in Europe. You are way more talkative and nice and kinder, too, in a way. Way more proud, as well. The thing is that it's really hard for me to even explain all of my experiences out there, because from one part, I felt extremely happy while even being in the United States. <laughs> even though even though the lack of trash cans was surprising. Yeah. See, in EU, we are mandated by law to have a publicly available trash can next to every house. But apparently, that's not a thing in Boston. Because those guys keep their trash cans separate and inside buildings. And they try to hide them away from other people. So I had to walk walk a while before I could find a way where to drop my Coca-Cola can. And speaking about Coca-Cola, we use sugar beet sugar here in Latvia, and high-fructose corn syrup is illegal. So yeah, your Coca-Cola tastes different from mine. And uh, my girlfriend told me that I should try out those craft American Singles things, you know, those that literally can't be called cheese, because they are a, a cheese product, I suppose, <laughs> and I found them really funny. And they were tasty enough as I would put them on a sandwich when I would have a hangover, but otherwise... Uh, it's such a strange experience really I don't know, breathing in your air, and your history, understand where the difference lies really And um, as a European, whom many Americans listen to, and you know, of course many Europeans as well, so that goes out to all of you But I do have to say that America just feels different, it feels different from what we have here It's a whole different world really, and there's a reason why they call it the new world Just by telling you all of this stuff through my audio podcast, it feels wrong. It feels just terrible. And wherever you live in America, my American listeners, I am coming back. Oh, I am. Because I enjoyed it so much, and well, like my friends stated here, well, I'm not dead, therefore I must be full of liberty. And well, what can I say? Well, much freedom, very liberty indeed. And and the weirdest part is that if you walk out of the town and you walk out somewhere which is, like, not a very touristy place, and then you instantly see this huge American flag, which is just there to remind you where, if you had forgotten, where you are located. So, that was also just stunning. More specific things. One thing that really uh, kind of struck me the bad way, actually, was the fact that I listened to a bunch of people, like, academical historians, trying to speak bad things about Dan Carlin. And Dan Carlin's our patron saint. Because really, in that conference, well, who wasn't there? Daniele Bolelli, because he was busy. Uh, Mike Duncan, because he was busy, too. And Travis J. Dow, because he was filming uh, a movie or something. But besides those three guys, if you listen to any podcast whatsoever, they were in the conference. And I met them all. It was really awesome. Special thanks, of course, goes to my uh, podcasting colleagues from the Agora Podcast Network, which I used as my HQ base there. The thing is that there were some people out there who were like feeling that we, kind of not professional history podcasters, because, you know, I didn't go around flaunting my history degree to people. There are a bunch of people who are like, oh, I'm going to dethrone Dan Carlin because I have these academical credentials and he doesn't. Well, tough luck, boy, or lady, because uh, Dan makes it all interesting. The conference at all taught me a lot of things about um, how to make an interesting show and why being interesting matters, why all of this thing works on. And I understood that we're used to here in Latvia, people being more cynical and being more mean. But this open kindness and open niceness that I got was like the most shocking part of all of it. And it's kind of weird that you go to a place where... You know what? I've seen only Boston from the movies, right? And then then you go there and you understand that, yep, yep, that thing is totally just like you would see in the movies. A completely weird thing just happened to me. And uh, if you are an American listener and haven't walked the Freedom Trail, I highly recommend that you do. That, too, was just amazing, because if you study about this in Europe, if you uh, just listen to some podcasters or whatever, you don't get a feel for it. But when you are in front of this old state house in Boston, Massachusetts, and then you see the spot of the Boston Massacre in front of your feet, and then you go into the museum, and there they explain to you everything that has happened and how that influenced everything that was going on at the time, it's something different. Something very different. And... uh, that is why I do believe that, to my non-American listeners, America is actually pretty great already. That's the weirdest part. And when you go to, like, the JFK Museum and you see uh, JFK blasting campaign slogans like, you know, America needs greatness, then that America is pretty great, actually. All I can give to you is astounding approval of everything. But uh, before I leave you with my short interview with Dan Carlin himself, and Dan Carlin is as awesome in person as humanly possible, and I gave him a souvenir, a Latvian souvenir. I gave him a brooch made out of a Latvian old-school silver five-lats coin, because having those was illegal in Soviet era, so people made brooches out of them in jewelry so that they wouldn't have to declare them that carries a lot of significance because uh, in the fall of the Soviet era, they were used to represent your nationalistic sentiments. They were used to tell people that you care about Latvia. And uh, I'm very happy that Mr. Dan Carlin, <laughs> I have a shrine for him built at my place, obviously, just as all podcasters do. I'm very happy that uh, this will be in his closet and stuff. And we, uh, with Sam, managed to give a short interview with him. So that's going to be there. But uh, I have to give thanks to Noel. Noel was amazing. Noel... Or lesbian pigeon fan on Twitter, as far as I get it. Yeah, she was one of the few listeners that actually really arrived there to hear me speak. And it felt very nice, you know, because I'm from the middle of nowhere, but I go to this conference in the United States and turns out that there are people just coming over to see me. And uh, that people actually know who I am and how this thing has grown. And then again, before we move on to the Dan Carlin part, I have to say massive thank you for all of you out there, because my experience was wonderful, and I had never felt so appreciated in a way, as, yeah, no one knows me in Latvia. Then, there, I moved to the States, and then things happen. And in the first day, I got to speak with a lot of people who were like making a history podcast, and they have like these 19 interns and 12 researchers and five sound editors and whatnot, and it just felt so fake. So, me and Sam and and CJ and Ben were like in the background, the Dark Myths guys, and we feel like We're these gonzo, rebellious, weirdo types who are just being there for the entertainment of our listeners and who are actually trying to tell the real story. And everyone else is this very researched, hyper advanced, super produced product of a podcast who's like much more popular than we are. But we tried our best and it worked out quite well. Yeah, American Beer is quite awesome too. I just have to mention that here before I get off my script completely. Then again, I actually taught people what milliliters were, and when I posted on Twitter about how, how I drank American beer, and I posted that, oh my god, this medium one is 700 milliliters, which is crazy. Same with coffee, too. I drank a Dunkin' Donuts, and when I asked for a medium coffee, they gave me a 600 milliliter one. Okay, 598. It's just insane. That's triple the size of a regular coffee in Riga. Regular coffee in Riga is 200 milliliters, 240 maybe, this is 600, this is like what? And people over here were making jokes about, wait a minute, so is the extra large one like a liter or something? Well, and apparently it is. Strange feeling, you know, when you go to a place which is just so much bigger than your place, and when your experiences are so stunning that you, you know, can't put them in words uh, precisely. But one thing is for sure, I definitely do miss your mighty eagle land. I do miss that place because, really, uh, in Europe, people do care much more about how their people look like. We're much introverted, and, and you guys have something going on for you. I appreciate the chance that was given to me, and I appreciate that I got to go there, and I'm hoping that it's not my last time. Oh, yes, and I have absolutely tried a Kentucky bourbon. That was poor to me by re, uh, Reconsider, guys. Go listen to Xander. Uh, it's going to be awesome. But, but, yeah, they're pretty good already. But enough of my bambling right now, just so you'd be entertained and just to so get something out of my random experiences. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Dan Carlin. I'm going to give you my on-the-spot, recorded with an iPhone interview, which we took after his speech, and you should check this out on YouTube because apparently it was streamed. This is my interview with Dan Carlin, me and Sam Davis' interview with Dan Carlin. For about seventeen minutes, I was very honored to have that. But for now, enjoy the show and historical episode coming Sunday. That's the Nitvarish. Hello, Mr. Dan. I am super stoked to meet you here and, and to talk to you. And It's amazing because, honestly speaking, I'm, I just wanted to start with a quick story, but this is important to me because I found your podcast while, you know, looking up because, you know, we, uh, I are kind of the piracy thing. So I was looking on game mods for my war games, which I play. And then in one of the folders there, there was, like, this thing called Hardcore History. And I thought, what, the, what, what is this? And I just found you from there. I have since then actually purchased all the extra episodes, but... Then, uh, then I went in your forums, which sadly are dead now, as a journalist, and i uh, myself, I just went around laughing and uh, gathering stories of people who actually served in the Soviet Army, and I just published them on your forums. And what happened then was that people, especially the guy with the boots, I remember that guy with the boots, uh, he told me that I should do my own show, I was like, oh no, I can't do that, it's Dan Collins' forums, and what will he, what will, what will he say? And then I started that. And apparently, well, from middle of nowhere in Latvia, I am now standing in Harvard discussing something. Do you really feel the impact you've had on other podcasters?
1: More and more at these kind of events. Um, I'm still trying to digest exactly what you said about your podcast for my podcast. Because when we started this thing you couldn't even explain to people what it was. So forget about getting an audience. We couldn't even, you know, podcast was a 45 minute conversation trying to explain how do you get it? What do you do with it? So in answer to your question, not only have I not figured out whatever impact I might have on other people, I'm still trying to get my mind around what's happened here. Does that make sense?
2: whoa yeah it does you know by this point you have reached the point where like we, we podcasters should build like small tiny shrines of you in the corners <laughs> so, yeah. and that's him for me where I'm primed. he's my host here so I'm staying at his place and, and we, we are in this podcasting network called dark myths oh with Danielli Bellelli, too by the way oh really so okay how, so yeah Dan, Dan, is my friend so, uh,
3: I just wanted to share as well, as I think we all have these stories for your listeners about our first experience of this listening to Hardcore History, and for me, I was a music major originally, and I was like living and starving, being a working musician in Montreal. Um, I graduated in 2012, and in 2015, I kind of put the put my music career to bed, and I was thinking, you know, so I, I knew that I was a creative person, mm-hmm. and I had heard, I think, in... Maybe 2013 or 14. I started listening to the Death Throws of the Republic. Oh. It was my first experience. Um, That's and a someone, long one. Yeah. And as someone who had had this experience and this background with history, I thought, you know, what is this? Like what you said today in the conference about uh, treating that blank space of sound as your canvas. I mean, in terms of the history that I read that resonated with me, it was like you know, books like Barbara Tuchman's *A Distant Mirror* or *Citizens: Vitality in the American Past*. Like the 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 possibility to take that interest and put it into this kind of sound canvas was something that I found enormously inspirational. And you've written written
1: on, in digital stone, a little graffiti that, you know, like I I, I tell people, and this applies to all podcasters, I think, especially if you're putting yourself into the material, my great-grandchildren can listen to this and get a sense of me. Mm -hmm. You know, They'll have a little bit of an understanding in a way that I don't have of my even grandfather, right? I would love to have... I mean, it's like, in a sense, if you read someone's diary, you get a sense of who they are, but this is your art, and you put your part of your soul into this all the time, and that part, if the person on the other end is either Um, shall we call it sensitive, or if you're very good at what you do, they're going to get a sense of you through this, whether or not you're even terrestrially here anymore. Um, Imagine any of the great figures of the past that we would like to know more about had they podcasted so much about his time... What you don't understand is someday there are going to be historians who listen to this material that we're producing to try to get a better sense of the zeitgeist now. And you're contributing to that. You're writing in graffiti in rock forever here. And I, that's, you know, you think about how people always wanted to be remembered and make a mark on history and not be just another name that disappears in the past. This is it. Right. I mean, this is incredible to think about what you're passing on and forget about the subject matter at all. It's the you that's passing on a, a, a piece of your yourself, your unique self that there's never been another person like you is going to be around as long as this stays. I mean, until we have our Statue of Liberty moment in the sand and there's no more podcasts. I mean, and that's, you know, Cicero said that the only true form of immortality is writing. But this is writing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, this is a true form of immortality. And there's something to get paid, or to make a living, or to, or to have listeners and benefit from that for making myself immortal for you. Come on, man. This is like a dream come true. And especially coming from the pre-podcasting world that I come from.
2: Yeah, but sometimes it gets like really abused because one thing that I want to draw attention to is that I come from eastern Europe and 'm right next to Russia, and my listeners decided at one point Soviet history wasn 't enough, and then now they 're poking me about making more current news episodes, which I do and For that, I listen to Russian opposition media and I know like the five most prominent Russian opposition media youtubers that i 've listened to, four of them have been forced to migrate elsewhere, and one guy 's car got burnt, he got fired, and his family members got fired so I think that what should be appreciated a lot is that, well, for you guys, mostly based in America and Western Europe, it's much more easier, but, yeah, over there, well... Information's least. dangerous. I mean, honestly, I have, I have received my own death threats, and, and for us, in Eastern Europe, where it's all new. Like, I get death threats by putting strolls, my ribs have been broken, things have happened to me, and it's, for us, some, sometimes, it's like... The, the fact that you exist and you, you make this happen and this whole idea that you present as, as a symbol, too, by now, from podcasting, it helps a lot of us over there, back in, back in our middle of nowhere, kind of pull through and do this as well, dealing with the hard stuff. See, hey, what's funny
1: is I don't think of you as in the middle of nowhere. I think of you as right in the middle of it all. You know, I mean, you look at Latvia on a map and then draw a line down the map. I mean, you're kind of right there. Um, in terms of, you know, it's interesting always to hear about the problem we'll call control for now, but we all are impacted by that, but not specifically Russian trolls, specifically Mm -hmm. directed at you. Um, What would be interesting is if more Latvian podcasters spring up over time, are they able to control, I mean, if you're the the, the one guy, it's easy to target
2: you. Well, there are some podcasters in Latvia, Latvia, but I'm the only one there who does anything in English. I'm like, (laughs) I can surely say that I'm the biggest podcaster in the Baltics, so... At, At least that's, that's But I mean even <laughs> Latvia
1: and Lithuania, all of those places have a similar sense of, of feeling like the the Russian bear is right over the top
2: of Yeah, the, but they're actively doing that too. Like the Russians really impact our daily lives through through media and, and everything because yeah. of all the, the stuff that they say. It
1: doesn't surprise me though, and the funny thing is that it would be almost a little strange if it didn't. I mean Latvia to the to the Russians is a little like Mexico or Canada to us. Uh, And it would be strange if we didn't bleed over heavily into both of those areas. Now maybe you would suggest, but it depends on your point of view, that our bleeding over is a little bit more benign than the bleeding over you have to deal with. I certainly understand the dynamic. I can't can't understand you being so happy about all you've gone through to have to put up with this stuff, because my life is obviously easier than what you're having to deal with. At the same time, there's a real admiration, it makes me think of the radio-free Europe's or the people behind the front lines who are still broadcasting to the opposition people. I mean, it's maybe not that dramatic, but it's halfway between where I am and that. So it's, it's, it's kind of a really interesting tale someday to tell your story. I hope so. Well, Sam, we'll
3: see how it turns out. (laughs) Well, I have to survive first. (laughs) I hope it's a happy ending. Uh, Uh, I have a question for you, actually, about um, so this question of history and politics. So, one of the questions that I think it was C.J. asked you during the uh, Q and A period was, you know, this question of is there such a thing as objective history? And I think I I agree with him that the only sane answer is no. But there's another question that I'm curious about, which is, is there such a thing as apolitical history? And by that I mean history that doesn't directly interact with some kind of You know, they talk a lot about relevance, right? And I I teach high school, I teach ninth and 10th grade, and one of the big things in terms of what we choose to... You teach history? Yeah. And one of the big things that we choose uh, in terms of, like, which topics do we select, it has a lot to do with the questions of relevance, and there's constant efforts to pitch the relevance of these things to students. I hate that. When, yeah. when I listen to and it seems like that's been a huge thing since the 60s, right? right. Yeah. And probably It's been a huge thing forever. When is, you
1: turn history into an academic discipline and try to figure out the very basic question of, okay, history is everything that ever happened, so what do we choose out, right? Yeah. Well, the problem, I did a, there was a, there's a George Lucas Foundation called Edutopia, where he's trying to find new ways to teach. And they asked me to, to, to write an article for them. And I, I said, no. And I said, no, because I wasn't an educator. And I didn't want to intrude into their territory. I'm very, very sensitive about that. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And he said, but that's why we asked, because you're not. Mm-hmm. And would you write it? And so I wrote a piece that just said that the problem with history is that we tell people what they have to know. Because we all have interests, and because history is everything that's ever happened, I can pick different subjects and make you very interested. I just have to pick the subject you're already into, right? And if—and this was my assumption in the Edutopia article I wrote, which was, if you say people need to know that in 1492 Columbus discovered America, I can agree with you. But what if they forget it right after the test? What did you really accomplish? They should know it, but they did for the test, but then they don't. What we can teach, maybe, is the process of history, right? So you say something like, what are you into? I'm into motorcycles. Okay, let's talk about motorcycles for a second. How did you get, what was the first motorcycle ever? And then you showed them progression. How did it get from here to there? And what you've ended up teaching in the end is nothing about Columbus in 1492, but you have taught them that there's an evolutionary process and that things happen and outside. In other words, you've taught them kind of how things develop, how things go from A to Z in this one little area that interests you. If you walk away understanding that historical process and you were going to be one of those people that forgot the Columbus name one second after the test, didn't we just do better? Right? Didn't we just... So my problem with that is that the decision that everybody should know this is predicated on two things. One, that you're going to remember it. And two, that you really do need to know that. And that's maybe where things went wrong. But let's go back to when all this stuff was decided in an educational climate that was much different than today, right? This kind of climate 200 years ago, right? Where people are... We're not there anymore. And so in the answer to your question, I think the way you touch those people is you find out what they're interested in anyway. And then you say, guess what? There's a history of that. you into fashion? There's a history. you into celebrities? There's a history of that. And you can show the process development, how the historical forces unfold, and you can give them a sense of time moving. And you can then apply that to other things. And that's what makes it useful, is that it's applicable across the board. You've taught a process, not a fact. Does that make sense? The fact that people will, you know, how that
3: goes. In education, we talk a lot about you know skills versus content. Yes. Now, like, yes. I'm, I'm big trends yes. with that? It's so heavily on the skill side. And even with the department that I work at, you know, I have conversations with colleagues, and they sometimes say, "Well, the content's kind of irrelevant." You know, the actual literal things that we're choosing are really just a vehicle to teach broader skills. About how you think about but it. do they history. learn? It. Do they learn? It is a big well, That's the other thing we always grapple with: is you know, are, how do we know students are when we want them to? And how to do you test? Them? right? In other words, if I
1: say find whatever you're into and study the history of that, well then. Does my test deal with motorcycle history or fashion history or celebrity history? Uh, but I do think that that's part of the process, is that I do think that history is something we're innately interested in. We're just interested in other facets of it or other parts of it, and that we can bring that out as long as we're not so concerned. But, but you know, we talked. I was talking to somebody out there about the freedom that podcasts allows you. People who are... I've become a middle school teacher. I just, you don't have that kind of freedom, right? You you, you, have, you walk into a complex system that's already developed, and you have to fit that mold. Um, but if we're just trying to teach how historical processes unfold, I have a lot of ways to do that without teaching the things you want me to teach.
3: I have one final follow-up. Sure. So with your two shows, there's common sense, which is politics. There's hard- Current events. Which... I always say current events, but yeah, OK. Uh, One of the things about listening to your history show is that there's something very refreshingly apolitical about it, in the sense that with a lot of these topics, you uh, identify these things. You know, the hook at the beginning, which is the the, the classics, the Statue of Liberty in the sand example. And there's something deeper and more timeless about that, as opposed to this is connected to Trump, you know, which I think is what 90% of academic historians do now. I don't know. They that. try to... Oh, try oh, to make it reality. Make it all, you know, it's just like what's going on today. It's this one-to-one kind of correlation. I'm wondering, though, when you choose your topics for the history show, let's say Imperial Japan, World War II, is there a deeper kind of message that you consciously decide, you know, this, like, I think this story has this to say to this particular time, and then you kind of, you yeah. know, very, very artfully
1: work to... It's make a, a, we call it, it the spine, that. or the subspine. So, so, yeah, so for example, in the Supernova show, which is ostensibly about Japan and the Second World War, we're talking about, can you take something that most people think is a good thing, and dial it up so high that it's a bad thing? So can you take something like patriotism and love of country and duty and intensity towards your work or whatever, and can you turn that up so high that that turns on you somehow? And so for that one, that's so. Every, so everything does have an answer to your question, and we we consciously think in terms of. What you know, Everything's woven, so I always compare it to a rope. And you have several strands to the rope. And one strand we always try to include is this idea of deeper themes. And I don't push anything on you. I'm, and in fact, I might even quote people who consciously have the opposite opinion. Because what we're trying to do is that mosaic idea that I talked about. I'm trying to flesh it out. And so in this developed from that Jaws problem I was talking about. I'm not a historian, so when I give you a fact, why should you believe it? So I don't want you to. Yeah, I want to quote somebody whose qualifications are good enough for you to believe, and then I want to quote somebody who disagrees with them. So that you get a sense that, as one guy wrote me, he said, I didn't realize, I thought history was like math, right? Two plus two equals four. No, it's like now where you have an MSNBC. If we only got MSNBC's version of history as opposed to Fox's, it would look a totally different way. So in some of these stories we have, we only have that one version, but you have to realize that. And so teaching, it's funny that as you know, we were always taught in school that historiography was the most boring thing in the world. Turns out, if you explain it in terms of people understand it, they're actually fascinated with the story. Now, I didn't know that. We do it quietly, softly, and uh, and in a way maybe you don't even know you're learning historiography. But people love... So There's a lot of unexpected reasons that the podcast turned out the way it did. Part of it is responding to things that people liked that you didn't know they would like. And maybe you're self-selecting your audience. That's one thing. And maybe you are just particularly good at somehow bringing that aspect to life. But uh, the idea of... Uh, of of, of looking at the past and then trying to find some meaning for today's world, I think if you do it right, it does it naturally. Does that make sense? You don't need to be so obvious that you're if, if you do it right, and, and truthfully, we talked about that chink in the armor getting through the defense shield, that's how you get through the defense shield. If you say, it's just like Trump, well, the defense shield's up. Right? Uh, you, you can't, you've got to be more subtle.
2: So, okay, okay, to kind of to kind of uh, end this up, well, I, I, I want you some some... It's going to some... be a six-hour podcast, isn't it? No, no, just quickly. <laughs> do you have any final words that you'd like to say to your fans in Eastern Europe? I, maybe maybe something to the fans of inward empire and eastern border too just saying
1: I think having an international audience is so cool, and I said to my wife, if they gave me a job in New York, which is the number one media center in the United States, on the radio there, I wouldn't ever take it because it would be a demotion, because right now we speak to the whole world, and that is amazing. I had a huge responsibility, because when I say something like, you know, things like this are going on in Iran in the old days, nobody knew whether that was true or not. Today, I get emails from Iran. So um, I love the international audience. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for driving and coming. Driving. (laughs) Thanks for coming all this way. Nice meeting you both. Great questions. Nice meeting you too. Take care.
3: Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv. And we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our co-hosts in the Great Motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you.
0: This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for the Dark Myths Void.